Hello everyone and welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast. Shane Brennan here from the UK Cold Chain Federation and host of this unique podcast. There's never a quiet week in the world of Cold Chain um, and this week's been no different. Um, I had the pleasure of spending some time with, um, right at the centre of the action, with one of the cabinet ministers um, for UK government, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, the Brexit Opportunities Minister. We were together um, at the opening of the new lineage super hub in Peterborough. A really fantastic, uh, huge new cold store, part manual, part automated store that really is going to be one of the, the facilities that's going to shape the future of cold chain operations in the UK. Of course, Lineage are only one of many businesses that are doing those kinds of investments right now. We're really excited to see them all coming on stream and the chance to show someone like political celebrity like Jacob Rees-Mogg what we're all about. Obviously, we saw him shortly after the government had made yet another range of announcements about import and export of food goods with a threat and counter threats around how to take forward issues around Northern Ireland and possible knock-on effects for our trade with the EU. But the conversation we were having with Jacob Rees-Mogg was probably much more optimistic than that. It wasn't about the here and now and the problems, which are significant, I'm not going to understate them. But talking about how we can get to the point where we have a new way of doing things, a new way of thinking about how we manage imports, how we manage paperwork, and how we think about the future. And that made me think to a conversation I had a few weeks ago now with another member of ours, a member who's not quite on the operational side of running cold stores and running distribution fleets, but a crucial part of the chain, the customer. And that's Soraya. Soraya from Smithfield Foods, supply chain director, is an example of someone who comes into our network since the Cold Chain Federation has refocused its efforts on being about everyone in our supply chain. And Soraya's got some really interesting things to say to tell you about um, how they are coping as a meat importing business in the UK over the past few years through the Brexit process, but also uh, beyond that into uh, into the future and how they see collaboration and ways of working and what they're looking for from the supply chain. And so it's a really great chance for us to remind ourselves of how we're seen as an industry and how our customers view us and also the opportunities to learn from each other. And that's why Smithfield Foods are members of our federation and that's why we're delighted to have so many uh, manufacturers and importers and exporters looking to join the federation to be part of our network. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce the conversation I had with Soraya Karim Govonlu. Hi, Soraya. Welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's brilliant to have you with us today and talking about um, your business, which is really exciting and interesting, uh, sort of customer of, of, of the cold chain in many ways, but you know, obviously your responsibility is supply chain director uh, within that business. Can you tell us a bit about Smithfields? Yep, so Smithfield UK has been around since around 1995. Uh, we import from um, across Europe into the UK from our sister company, um, everything from traded meat products to packaged into retailers to the big four. Um, and we're primarily import, as we don't manufacture in the UK, but a lot of moving trucks across Europe and back out again. <laughs> so give me an idea of the volume. How many trucks are you moving on a weekly basis? So if we only do in full trailers and we move around about 55 to 60 a week. And then in Christmas time, it hits over 65 to 70. And that's coming from mainland Europe into the UK? Yeah, correct. Primarily Poland, um, because that's where most of our factories are. But uh, we also do take from other European countries. Um, not as much volume, but majority from Poland, yeah. 
And Smithfield UK is part of a very large international business, isn't it? It is. It's part of um, Smithfield Incorporated, which is um, within um, the USA. And we are part of Smithfield Europe, which includes the European side of the business. And we were talking before, um, I think of Smithfield as like the biggest pork producer in the, in the world, but that isn't necessarily what Smithfield UK is predominantly trading in. No, so um, in the UK, we seem to prefer white meat and chicken, so um, I guess seemed as healthier as well. But we, we move a lot more chicken than we ever do pork. Yeah, and um, so obviously that, that's aiming really in... Uh, important cold chain operation you know to, in order to make sure those goods are coming in are you predominantly moving product in frozen or fresh um primarily it's uh, fresh and obviously within poultry regulations you have a different temperature banding to what you have to make sure it stays within than you do for say packaged meats or um let's just say yogurt for example it's slightly different so primarily fresh but we do also bring in ambient product by sea which is canned goods and we also bring in frozen product yeah. and in terms of how you're, you're procuring cold chain services in the UK without necessarily naming the companies you're working with, where are you, are you predominantly running your operations out of the European or European Union, or are you bringing them, or are you working with UK providers of service? UK providers mon- uh, mainly within obviously the United Kingdom, into Ireland as well as some exporting. We have got a UK partner who actually does bring in from Europe for us, and they've just purchased a European fleet, which is very exciting because we got to be the first ones to go with them. Um, but coming into United Kingdom, we do use some haulies that are based in those areas around those factories in Poland, and they would bring some of the goods in for us as well. So it's kind of a mixed bag. We've got a French company we use. We've got um, a company within Rotterdam when we go to their ports as well. So mixed, but a lot heavier weighted with UK. I'm talking talk to you a bit more in a moment about, about how you procure those services and how you build work, effective working relationships with those sorts of companies. But I need to get onto Brexit. Yep. Now, talking to a company like yourself that's, that's that's bringing product in from the European Union into the UK and operating across the borders, how has the experience of the last two, three years been for you as a business? What reactions have you had to take to, to the changing trading environment? Uh, I guess primarily we all waited to see if it was going to happen and um, it kind of almost came overnight, but we made sure that we were prepared in that because everyone was having this conversation is it going to happen is it not um for us directly we had to employ more staffing members it does financially impact on our business because we have to pay for those customs declarations that we never had to before um the last time we were in not in a free trade agreement i wasn't born so it was a big learning curve for me to come in and understand what would impact our business and how 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 sort of was there a moment when you first saw the changes when that that made you think that the business would be viable in that context and how you, your current supply chain design or was it always conf, you always confident that you could sort of make that system work? I think we were always confident because we knew that as a business we had to we had to make it work somehow that was we don't buy from the UK we only buy from Europe um, we pre-planned a lot we had brexit teams within our business we were looking at everything from if tariff ratings came in what would they be on our products to part to like decide whether they were viable products to keep um to learning myself personally as well as my team how to make declarations so c88 forms and ipath declarations 
so we got ourselves prepared um and thankfully our obviously sister company they do export under wto to other countries so they had an experience in that as well and you're obviously bringing your products over predominantly in full load consignments so that reduces some of the complexity compared to operators who are bringing in groupage loads i imagine yes definitely um a red flag for us a few months back we approached a haulier who's in within europe for a groupage load and they actually said that overnight they'd turned groupage off to the uk because it was too complicated so we decided as a business we wouldn't even entertain that option anymore we would only do full loading into uk and that that's a really striking example of of what has fundamentally changed you know if your businesses are like yours looking to continue supplies on import flow you're doing it um uh, you, you're having to you're having to basically think about how you do that sort of simplified um, routing in order to in, in order to make sure you're trying to keep the cost down, even though the cost inflation is is is, is obviously clearly clearly there. I mean, obviously you're mainly relying you're bringing your product into the country. Most of the controls that, particularly on the food safety side, haven't actually been fully implemented yet. We're waiting. The big deadline for meat products is is the first July. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, how do you feel about that going into that? Are you, is the business prepared? Um, I think we were prepared in regards to the paperwork and the IPATH specifications that are required and that proactive approach of uploading to the portal, making sure it's before you get to the border points. The concern for our business currently is the Meat Preparation Act um, being banned because a lot of um, businesses within the United Kingdom, you know, food service, restaurant groups, that kind of stuff, they do bring marinated meat from Europe so the question is not only for the impact to our business but to many other businesses across the UK how are they going to do that now if that is a, if the meat prep ban comes into force it does say you cannot have marinated product um, and it's even everything from I guess is bacon going to be banned is salami going to be banned and you, you have to wonder what was the logic to put that in force from the 1st of July it really, it really is an interesting kind of dynamic. Of, I think the number of consequential things that have had to be worked through as a result of, of, of this big sort of big change, the idea of, of impo- imposing the third country barriers to, to food imports, is, I think we're working our way through that as it stands. And I think there's a very active discussion about whether or not to actually make the changes on the 1st July or to continue to hold them off. Because we've held them off for UK imports for 18 months now. Mm. So... Um, the question is, is, do we carry on again with all the different cost inflations that we're experiencing, whether it's uh, cost of haulage, cost of cost of energy, just generally food price inflation? I think there's a very, very live debate literally today in, in the Financial Times. Um, but I guess you I mean you're already doing veterinary checks, aren't you, on your goods? We do. Yes, um, we had to originally because we used to export to the Middle East. Um, and they would always have to have veterinary checks. So we already kind of knew the process and what we had to do. But because some animal products um, come from safeguarded zones, they we have to basically make sure that they have a vet certification with them if required. So we've already done that for our red meat side of the business. We don't for our white meat because it's not required at this moment. Um, and we will be prepared. But for us as a company, we two-thirds of our business is white meat. So the volume will just increase massively in our additional paperwork. As I previously mentioned, we've already got additional staff members to support with this. And we're paying customs agents to support us, which is an additional cost to the business just to run. Yeah. 
Yeah, and has it made you think differently about how you design your supply chain? I mean, are you are you are you bringing more product in in bulk? Are you hold, are you stockpiling? Are you is, is that is, is that made any fundamental difference to how you do things? It's come up discussions quite a lot. Um, we did during the first kind of cutover of Brexit happening on the thirty first of December. We did have contingency holding within the United Kingdom. Um, but we took the view that we'd have to try and operate as normal as much as we could. A lot of our product is chilled. It's short shelf life. But we did increase our ambient, our longer chilled shelf life and some of our frozen stock holding, as did many other businesses. So you found that you couldn't find a lot of space about at the time. So, um, hmm. and, and have you worked and how's your relationship been with your supply chain businesses? How have you is that is that have you worked? How have you worked with them to sort of to make these sorts of adjustments to to, to, to life um, since the since the changes over the last two years? Um, as much as possible, we've um, forward forecasted. We've tried to work out demand that and how much contingency we would need as a business for each different category. But unfortunately, sometimes people get in there before you. In the summertime, we found that um, ice cream was everywhere and it was taking all of the cold stores. Um, and those contracts were ahead of us anyway. They've always been in place. So us coming along trying to get more space was a struggle at times. Um, so we ended up having to spread a lot of our stock across the UK into different warehouses that we hadn't necessarily used before just to get some holdings. And so thinking, so I think it's really impressive how you guys have managed to take it in your stride. I think you know, it's a massive seismic change in what's required of importing businesses, what's happened over the last two years at the same time as a pandemic. So the fact that you've managed to make your tight way through that has been a, a real testament to, to, to the business. Do you have a sense yet of longer term, what might be different about trading for a UK importing business compared to what's, what, what things were before? Is that, are there going to be fundamental changes in the future or is it going to carry on pretty much as it is? I believe if this 1st of July comes in with everything that they've said that will happen with the meat preps and the other bands of products, I think any company in the UK who imports from Europe is going to have to think, how am I going to do it differently but trying to keep the cost down. And unfortunately, there isn't a way to keep that cost down if you have to put in another uh, manufacturing measure or anything within the United Kingdom. Um, and unfortunately, that then cost, in my eyes, goes on to the consumer, which we don't see. But I think everyone nowadays is seeing the cost of stuff going up because of all these little changes that people have had to do. Just, you know, just from customs decks, um, paying an agent £80 per lorry it has to be pushed on somewhere. And there, 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 I obviously spend a lot of time talking to journalists and to, and, and to policymakers who aren't in our industry. It's kind of the job of the Cold Chain Federation to be the interface between the experts like yourself and, and the outside world. And one of the currents of debate that sort of grows in prominence is, well, sure, the future, the idea of this should be more domestic production. To bring in more, to, to, to just to, just to be more self-sufficient as a country, as an, as an island in, in our production. But obviously, is that even possible based on based on on the amount of consumption we have in the country of particularly meat products and chicken in particular? Um, personally, I don't believe so. Chicken and pork, um, especially in the United Kingdom, we tend to prefer the nicer cuts of those products. Um, so, if you go with say pork manufacturing, you would need a, a pork or sorry, a pig would need, for example two sets of back legs to be able to facilitate what we have you know chickens would need to have four sets of breasts to be able to facilitate what we as people in the uk prefer to eat whilst if you see in other you know categories or marketplaces across the world they prefer other parts 
And unfortunately, I, um, I believe a statistic I read a few years ago was that one in every fifth meal in this country is imported from the EU. We would not be able to sustain in this country. Um, and when you look at mass manufacturing within Europe, you have one factory that has over 200 farms. We don't geographically have that space in this country either to be able to facilitate that. Yeah. I've got this vision of mutant Brexit pigs with four, <laughs> yes. with four back legs. It's an interesting, uh, interesting dynamic. Um, no, absolutely. I think, and this is one of the sort of the w- w- when you get into the co- into understanding supply chain design, understanding how what resilience actually looks like. That mixture of domestically produced and imported is is absolutely at the core of of, of, of a sustainable supply chain into, mm. the, into the future. Um, to talk a bit more, obviously, it's great to talk to someone who's, a, who's, who's largely a customer of cold chain op- operations, um, um, like yourself. Are there sort of things that you look for when you're looking for partners, whether it's transport partners or storage partners, in terms of, in terms of helping you to do your job? I think um, the primary kind of thing we look for is flexibility. Um, unfortunately things can happen and you don't know they're going to happen or we need support in anything from say a load that may have had an issue in transit and it's just having those partners who understand that it's not a very it's not a black and white market Um, customer demand is not black and white you know and having someone who you can pick the phone up to and say would you better help me out on this have you got space just to hold it for 24 hours and them saying yes bring it in is fantastic and we do have that with a lot of our um kind of relationships that we have with people across the uk and i guess you're i guess you're looking always looking for a mixture of different partners and you've got some long-standing people that you work with for the bulk of what you do but also you're looking for stuff um on a more kind of case-by-case basis is how does that balance work for you so we have our kind of core um distributors and warehouses that we like but as we grow and as we grow into different categories we need different options there are people who are fantastic at next day delivery by the pallet, but our next account might be, for example, they want picked pallets. So we have to have that constant looking. And I mean, in my team, we have people who are constantly going out to the market to see who's new, what new services do you provide, and kind of the benchmarking of what's possible. And where do you look for that? I mean, how do you find sort of supply chain partners? We tend to go to the people we, we are with, ask could you provide this service for us? Um, I've actually used your um, client list before and gone down and looked and said, well, that, I've never spoken to them before, I'll go for that. Um, word of mouth, experience, a lot of people in the industry know everyone somehow. <laughs> um, and they say, you know, so-and-so now works for them. I think they could help you out. So it is a lot of looking and just trying to search the market. And um good old cliche of Google's actually quite good sometimes <laughs> and look down and, and see who's about and just make those phone calls. And do you, I'm sorry, this is a naive question. Sometimes I always show my naivety when it comes to question. Do you, are you genuinely looking nationwide for, 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 for storage and, and, and transport options or is it generally focused on a particular area near where you're based, which obviously is in, 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 the, in East Anglia? Um, not in East Anglia because you can never get out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we we go everywhere because our customer base is everywhere. Um, we do try to actually at times, for example, our ambient cans sell fantastic up north. So we tend to store the majority of up north. And that's probably the only one. Now we like to spread out as much as we can because our customer base is everywhere. It's um, good to be on the main routes across the UK, but we're not fast really, to be yeah. honest. 
good yeah. good service is key obviously um being able to keep our costs down and having a good relationship with someone would trump then whether they were in norfolk or not <laughs> yeah understood understood and sorry obviously you've um smithfield food's been a member of the federation for about four years now and you've seen you know been involved in some of our activities and events even through the covid period what's the value of of, of, of business networks like the cold trade federation to, to you and your business I think it's key because having a relationship with someone, especially a face-to-face one, is so much better than a, an email, just a telephone conversation. And I know we're moving the days of technology is, is the way forward, but I don't ever think anything beats a good working relationship with one of your, your customer or your supplier and being able to pick that phone up and ask for that favour and they ask you. And going to the networking events you know i've made um haulier contacts at events we've had a storage contact at an event as well and it's just worked well because i can openly then say this is what i need could you help me out and they can give me the a true answer of if they can or not yeah and that's fantastic that's absolutely the core of what we're all about as an organization providing those sort of links between businesses and and helping people to sort of think differently about um about, about who they're working with and it, it, where the opportunities present. Um, and in terms of learning as well, in terms of you know, your own sort of personal development and professional development, how do you see, 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 see that in, uh, and the opportunities of, of business networks? Um, I think it's a fantastic thing to see, especially for people that you could maybe perhaps take as mentoring. Mm. Um, I've been to networking events where I've actually met people and, and they've then become almost a mentor to me. You know, I, I am very fortunate my md is absolutely fantastic um and he is my key mentor Mm. but going to like your events and meeting say people from samworth brothers or you know those type of people and then giving you the knowledge because they've been around a lot longer than you um they've got experience but then they ask you for experience and it is also not only just a development in a network it's your self-confidence because i think networking events for people especially people who are new into an industry or younger than everyone else in the room it's a confidence thing and it builds your confidence to then approach these people because you have to um so i I do really enjoy them (laughs) that's great well it's it's fantastic and it's also um that's key i think that thing about creating um opportunities that people enjoy being around and and be able to learn each other and very being open i think I am. I think probably one of the things about COVID has been that the industry has got itself into the mindset of there are lots of reasons to collaborate, lots of reasons to to share information. Obviously, the things you're allowed to share, legally share information <laughs> about, um, but there are problems we can solve together. There are shared challenges, and it's about trying to find ways to to, to develop those. And I know that um, um, there's so much business can learn from 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 you and from what from what your experience is as, as an importing business. Um, and I know that you'll kindly going to be speaking at our event in in september at, at cold chain live yeah um which is really exciting we're talking about um how the cold chain supports supports global britain so um, we look forward to seeing you at that thank you i look forward to it brilliant um Soraya, thank you so much for joining me on the cold chain podcast it's been great to speak to you and i um look forward to um many more conversations thank you brilliant. what a great opportunity that was to hear right from the direct from the customer about how they've seen the experience of managing and procuring logistic services throughout this most pivotal of periods with the Brexit changes and also the pandemic. And um, really quite um, pleasing to hear the, the positive way in which uh, a business like Smithfield Foods is engaging with its, with its supply chain base and thinking about, about the future. 
As I said, so you can hear more from Soraya at our conference, Cold Chain Live, taking place on the 8th and 9th of September. I cannot tell you how excited I am about the list of people that are coming together as, uh, to speak at that event and to share their knowledge and experience across the core topics that matter. We are really going to be stepping up a game in terms of how this industry comes together in the form of a business conference at that event and agenda, full agenda to be published soon. But don't wait for that. Get on the website, book your places, get in contact with the office, make sure you're reserving not just a place for yourself, but for colleagues as well. It really is the must-attend event of this year. Um, so uh, please, please do that. Also, please do your bit to share the podcast. You know, we're really growing our subscriber base. I'm delighted by the number of people that do listen and give me feedback on this. I've had people from all around the world tell me that they listen to the Cold Chain podcast and um, I'm delighted to hear it. It's just a great way to, to, to think differently and hear differently perspectives about our industry and the challenges of, of, of working and opportunities of working within it. So you can do so. Get on the website, um, subscribe via Apple, Apple Podcasts, via um, any other podcast platform that you use and please leave us a rating as well and so that helps me to to, to increase our visibility um, for this um, important uh, platform maybe there are people out there that you think i should be talking to maybe it's you maybe it's other people drop me a line and let me know um, because i'm always on the hunt for for people that are willing to come and share their experiences for the benefit of myself and, and everyone so with that i'll say goodbye and until next time i hope you're enjoying the cold chain podcast